Thank you for tuning in to Conversations with KC, a segment brought to you by the Keeping It Real with KC podcast. Here, the conversations are raw and casual with people from a plethora of backgrounds and your favorite host, KC Phoenix. All right, we have a Conversations with KC episode. This one was a little unexpected because I received a message and I was like, oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> this works out. So I have a guest on the phone, and I will allow my guest to introduce himself. Hello, this is uh, Eric Winters, Casey, and it's my pleasure to be uh, talking to you today. I'm a leadership development coach here in Sydney, Australia, and uh, I spend my time uh, helping people uh, in workplaces develop the courage to do their best work, their courage to uh, speak up in meetings when they've got something important they'd like to share, their courage to say no to inappropriate behaviour, should it be happening, should it be happening at times, and the, the courage to, to reach for more in life, to, to aspire, to, uh, to grow, to develop, perhaps to, to develop their career, moving up the ladder, or even changing jobs altogether, these things all need courage, and that's what I specialize in. Well, let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm curious, and obviously my listeners, which I have listeners from in different countries, but 90% of my listeners are in the U.S., and you have an accent, so... <laughs> <laughs> but you don't, Casey. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted to finally meet someone who doesn't have an accent, and that's you. So that's... <laughs> Which yeah, on my yeah, on your end, you're like, well, no, you're the one with the accent. <laughs> but um, with that, for my listeners in the U.S., have you ever worked with U.S. companies before, or do you mostly work in Australia? Where Where is your work taking you to? Well, I'm I'm based physically here in Australia. And I've largely worked with organizations that are based in this neck of the woods. I've worked in China, in New Zealand, in, in China, uh, sorry, in Australia. And I've had trips across to, to Europe from time to time. But everything's changed in the last year, hasn't it? And we are all, well, a lot of us now, we're working remotely. And it, it doesn't really matter where we physically are now. So I've been having a, a lot of conversations with people scattered uh, across the U.S., and as you're aware, I've, I've written a book which is also available in the U.S. So uh, I have plenty of readers around the planet. Well, let me ask you this, too. And, and the reason I'm – this is what I'm driving at here because I, I have a reason for everything when I ask a question. Since <laughs> you've dealt with different countries, different companies all over the world, have you noticed that in different cultures where mm. things are done a little bit differently when it comes to approaching something on the job, where it comes to asking for a raise, or when it comes to saying, hey, I don't agree with how things are being done in this environment? Because working for, dealing with a company, let's say, in China versus dealing with a company in the U.S., having that mm. um, stepping forward in offering that critique, one might say, it, it may go a little bit differently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. 
what stops people from taking courageous action is different in different parts of the world because different things are daunting to different communities. Uh, I try not to uh, critique what people are experiencing, but I help people develop the, the capability to choose for themselves what they're willing to do and what they're not. And those principles are the same. So I have worked for two years in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, in the United Arab Emirates. And there's a very particular culture in the workplace there. I've also worked in Germany, completely different working environment. Had three fabulous years living in Munich. And uh, now I'm here in Australia, different culture again. And whilst the people are different and different things matter to people in different cultures, the, the principles of what holds us back and what we can do to uh, encourage ourselves, to embolden ourselves, they're the same cross cultures. So, uh, yeah, really interesting working with different people. Okay, understood. Now, you had mentioned that you have a book earlier. Can you tell the audience the name of the book so they know? Mm. Yes, it's called Swipe Right on Your Best Self, Simple Steps to a Bolder Life with Fewer Regrets. Now, the, the swipe right metaphor is pretty widely known now, but I did give a talk a week or so ago, and a lady from Holland said, what on earth are you talking about, swiping right? What, what do you mean? And I explained, of course, that there's a lot of apps now, and if you want to buy something or choose something, and it goes for dating apps, you see someone that you, you like the look of, you put your finger on the screen and you swipe it right. You're saying, yes, I, I, I choose to uh, find out more about you. And I was buying something on Amazon yesterday, and the same thing happened. I was buying a new microphone, and it asked me to swipe right if I wanted to choose that microphone. So my book is about how can we choose to be our boldest, bravest selves. Uh, well, you're saying that how can we choose to be our boldest, bravest selves? It, it almost sounds like choosing to put yourself first to a certain degree. Well, ab absolutely. The, the, a palliative care nurse, Casey, called Bronnie Ware, she spent years working with people in their last few weeks and months of life, and she was hearing the same top regrets again and again and again. And uh, she, she discovered that the number one regret that she was seeing anyway, the number one regret of the dying was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. So you're right. An important part of being bold is is discovering actually what what is important to you personally. What matters to you? What makes you you? And then choosing, when circumstances allow, when it's appropriate, choosing, yes, to prioritize uh, your own interests and needs and not to excessively uh, surrender your own 
our hopes and dreams to the the aspirations of, of others, whether that's your family or you're the community or the, the wider culture you're in. And you'll be well aware, it's the same in the US as it is here, the culture we're in has got a lot of ideas about how people of uh, a particular age or gender ought to behave. There's lots of messages, aren't there, from uh, advertising and TV and the media about what is uh, appropriate behavior. So uh, a lot of courage is re required to risk uh, being different, being yourself. And that's what I try to help people to do. Right, because one thing is is that a lot of people, and I always say this, and I, I talk about the U.S. all the time, I say one of America's biggest issues is that America has a self-esteem issue. Mm -hmm. Right. Where everyone seems to worry about what other people think. And that paralyzes them and keeps them from putting themselves first because they're too busy thinking about, oh, well, if I do this, they may think this, or they may react this way if I do this, instead of doing what really makes them happy. And I, I believe the other part of this is, is that some people put too much emphasis on what others say, where I'll just use an example. Someone wants to be a singer, and then someone else hears that person singing, and they're like, oh, well, you, you're not really that great of a singer. Maybe you should consider being a dancer, or maybe you should consider being a doctor, or, or this or that. And it just amazes me how some people will just stop what their heart desires because one or two people says something opposite to what they're doing. Mm, you're so right. You're so right. This worry about what will other people think? Will other people approve of me if, if I do this? It, when we allow it, it can dominate our lives and it can throttle all personal ambitions. So we, we absolutely need to manage our natural human reactivity and uh, develop a much clearer sense about what's personally important, uh, manage our natural uh, concerns about uh, upsetting others, perfectly natural, but not let it uh, constrain us, not let us, not have it trap us into living a much smaller life, which may be meaningful to somebody else, but not actually at the end of the day really meaningful uh, to ourselves well let me ask you this then for the part of moving forward developing the courage as well mm. to speak up in a work environment and to want more how did your journey of evolution start because it isn't a thing where somebody just dropped you into the middle of all of this it had to come from somewhere no you're right you're right so i had a, a previous career before being a an executive workplace coach i had a previous career in the it industry 20-year career and uh, i was implementing computer systems in, in as i say germany the middle east scotland and what I noticed there was it didn't matter which culture I was in, but there were some leaders that were able 
when the pressure was really on, when the heat was really on, they were still able to get the best out of themselves and get the best out of others. Even when the buildings were practically on fire. Really, really impressive. And then there were other leaders who, to one degree or another, would become anxious and worried and fearful. And then they'd contaminate the rest of the team with their worry. And they'd bring everyone else down. And I wanted to know what was the difference. What made the difference between leaders who could thrive under pressure, really perform well, and those who, who struggled to keep it together. So I took a step back out of uh, corporate life and I immersed myself in, it was a delicious, indulgent period, Casey, and I, I dived into the science of well-being and performance and got uh, two master's degrees in this topic, in the topic of human behavior change and performance. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And, and that's what I've, I've tried to condense the, the most impactful and powerful ideas uh, that I learnt over those two master's degrees into that one book. So that's my passion now, uh, sharing what I've learnt about what we know about when people behave at their best and, uh, yeah, and applying it in my own life. Well, what is one of the things that can bring the best out of someone, that, or, or at least from your point of view, what is one of the things? Yeah, well, as a someone who's steeped in psychology, I'm tempted to talk about something uh, in the mind, something about mindset, perhaps. Or, but the, the first thing I should say, and I, it, it, this is so important, but the, the absolute foundation to living with courage is actually taking care of our biology, taking care of our physiology. And it's, these are really ordinary things that we do each day, but they have profound impacts on our ability to be bold. And, and they're the ordinary things, ordinary but significant. So it's sleep. It's sleep. If any of us don't get enough sleep, we're all more reactive and impulsive and defensive the next day. So the absolute priority is prioritizing, <laughs> prioritizing sleep. We've got to take care of that sleep. What we eat, and I know you're someone who's uh, very interested in taking care of uh, what you eat, what you take into your body. Our food yeah. also. Yeah, yeah, and you and I both love chicken, Casey. I was really pleased to, to hear that. So, uh, and, <laughs> and, and we, 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 not just the chicken and the protein, we've got to have some carbs, yeah, um, but it's what we choose, what we choose has an, a significant impact on our ability to think well, to decide. And it's, you're supposed to be reactive if you're on a, di a diet of uh, high sugar and uh, fast carbs. You're going to be more reactive. The ability to choose will be diminished. And the third thing is movement. It's, it's the weirdest thing, and it just amazes me, but by moving, we actually change our blood chemistry and we become bolder. So we need to move throughout the day. So the, the absolute foundation, I talk about it as getting fit for purpose, getting fit for purpose.
We need to attend to our sleep. We've got to move and we need to eat real food, not not something that's been shaped into something that looks like food, but actual food. So that's where I'd start. Right. Now, you just said something a moment ago that made my antennas perk up. You said mm. moving can change your blood chemistry. Mm. It does. It does. In, in fact, the only reason you and I have a brain, you know, the only reason that any animals have a brain it, it, it is actually to let them move. So life that doesn't move, that sits at the bottom of the sea or sits somewhere on Earth and just sits there, it doesn't need a brain to do very well. So we've evolved to have brains to navigate through life, to avoid risks, to approach opportunities. That's what a brain's for. And brains do best when we move. That's what they're for. They don't like it when we move. And when we do, we release different hormones and different chemicals into the bloodstream, which enable us to make more difficult choices, to choose to do the harder thing. And uh, one of those uh, chemicals is oxytocin. It's often thought of as sort of the, the cuddle hormone. It's something you get when, you, when you're uh, holding a baby or holding a loved one. Men and women develop it, and it makes us bolder. But we also create oxytocin when we move. We don't have to run marathons. We can just walk, walk around the block and walk around the park. But movement emboldens us. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Now, the oxytocin, I, I knew of that. I knew of that particular, mm. but I didn't know it was created by movement, too. Mm. So. Yes. And, yeah, we don't have to breastfeed, Casey. This is the good news. Uh, <laughs> it's something that mothers get for free when they take care of their babies, they feed their, their children. But, uh, no, you and I, we can get it by moving, by walking, by any kind of exercise will do it. But especially moving in the outside world, uh, we produce more of it when we move through nature, through the real world, rather than standing on a treadmill and just pacing. So, yeah, exercise, really foundational. So that's, that's the beginning. I, I help people to take care of their physiology, but, but that's not enough. There are mindsets as well, mindsets that we need to cultivate and develop to embolden us. Would it be appropriate just to mention those now? Right. Uh, well, absolutely. Actually, there was something that I had seen, and I copied and pasted it <laughs> into mm. oh. uh, Microsoft <laughs> Word Doc because I was like, oh, this is very interesting, and that's how I knew about the oxytocin, and I promise you I'm not making this up. I literally mm. had seen this about three days ago in, in ah. discovering this, and it said happiness mm. chemicals and how to hack them. And under oxytocin, <laughs> it says the love hormone, socializing, physical touch, petting animals, helping others, yes. but didn't have movement. That's why I was like, oh, okay, well, movement mm. that too. But it also mentioned dopamine. As well, it says the reward chemical, <laughs> and it says yes. eating food, achieving a goal, complete a task, self-care activities, and then it said endorphin, the painkiller. It says exercising, listening to music, watch a movie, laughter, and then the fourth and final one that it gave was serotonin, 
And that one says the mood stabilizer, sun exposure, mindfulness. Oh. Yeah, be with nature, meditation, things like that, mm. which I'm not that great at balancing all of these. <laughs> uh, There's a lot to uh, think about, isn't there? There's a lot. It really is. And I didn't know, and now that I'm having this conversation with you, this is going back to the blood chemistry with getting the chemicals into the blood so that you can better, I'll say, navigate the situation mm. in the workplace and do that. Yeah. because Navigate is the word. Mm. <laughs> when the chemicals are out of balance, then more than likely your approach to the situation will be out of balance. Am I on the right track? Yes, <laughs> you are spot on. You're spot on. It, it, I mean, the reality is everything we do in life, every conversation, everything we eat, every time we move, say something, we're inadvertently, without thinking about it, changing our blood chemistry one way or the other. We are either uh, shifting ourselves into a positive uh, helpful state, or we are inadvertently depleting ourselves. We're making life a little harder. And you mentioned something earlier there, which is, uh, you mentioned a lot of things which are really important. You mentioned how dopamine, this uh, feel-good, this reward uh, hormone, we do get it when we complete a task. And something a lot of people overlook, and it's, it's a missed opportunity, is when they complete a task, we're all so busy now, aren't we? We've all got so many things to do. I don't know what your email looks like, your inbox, but it's all getting a bit a bit out of control. It's a bit out of control. And we're all in such a rush that we seldom pause to savor the experience of progress throughout our day. And this is a missed opportunity for a dopamine shot. Each time... We tick something off. We complete a task. We do something that matters. We owe it to ourselves just to pause for a moment and acknowledge that. Good. Done that. Yes, I'm pleased about that. Just pause. Taste it. Taste the experience of progress and then move on to the next task. And if we don't, we will just, we end up reaching the end of the day thinking, oh my goodness, I feel frazzled, I feel burnt out. Uh, what did I get done? I, I, I was busy, but, but what have I achieved? So we need to pause and savour exper the experience of progress and achievement as it happens. And with that, when you're saying the dopamine, which obviously that would be the happiness one. For that particular mm. part, or, or the um, reward chemical, for that, is, do you, okay, I need to figure out the best way to articulate this. When you're having a difficult moment on the job, mm -hmm. do you reach into the toolbox and say, okay, I need this particular chemical or I need that particular chemical to bring back balance? Mm. So you can uh, maintain a stable, I, I would say, a stable mind at the job. Do you do you um, right. zero in on certain ones? <laughs> okay. I do have a, a tool for that. I don't worry about the actual chemicals which are involved. I, the scientist in me loves learning about the names of these chemicals 
But in daily life, you know, it doesn't really matter what they're called or what's going on in, in, our, in our bloodstream. Fascinating, though it is. But I've got a three-step model for meeting challenges during the working day. Or, in fact, even when you're not at work, when you're at home. It's not as those challenges stop when we uh, leave the office. There are... They are abundant outside of the office as well. So my, my three-step strategy when challenges approach, this is one of the strategies, but it's a quick one that's uh, easy to share now, is that the first thing to do is to notice that you're feeling challenged. It's simply to notice it. And it might be that there's a surge uh, in your chest. Uh, I feel a kind of tightness uh, in my chest sometimes. I don't know where you notice uh, anxiety or stress or a sense of, uh, of, of difficulty, but it will represent itself somewhere in the body. So the first thing to do is just to notice, is to notice the experience of being challenged. That's the first step. Number two is to name it. So now that we've noticed it, it's to give it a name. And perhaps it's just, oh, I'm feeling daunted, or I'm feeling criticised, or I'm feeling uh, hopeless, but it's to do our best to find the best word. What, what word captures that experience? When we name a challenging experience, we tame a challenging experience. It's still there, but its influence over us is diminished somewhat. It's just dialed down a little bit. Now that it's dialed down, the third step is, now what? Now what would the kind of person you want to be do? And we do that. So it's notice, name, now what? And I follow those three steps, and my clients do too, to meet all sorts of challenges during the day. Yeah. Well, that is notice. Name. Name, now what? Notice, name, now what? Yes. Notice. So three ends are three yes. ends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, it's the three end model. And the, 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 the trick is, the most important part of that sequence is the first part. Because without, without becoming an observer of our own experience, we will be carried away by it. It will take us away. So perhaps... We'll feel offended by someone. Someone said something. It feels a bit hurtful. We're more likely to give them a piece of our mind or to, to fire off an email quickly and uh, let them have it. Or we might feel the urge to eat something that we'd, you know, we're, we're really trying to, to cut back on in our diet. And if we don't notice the urge, it will just sweep us away. We will, we will just find ourselves... Uh, obeying the urge, surrendering our our will to the urge. So noticing is the most critical step. It's what allows us to just take a little step back, a little step back, and interrupt what would be otherwise be just automatic or habitual behavior. Yeah, for, notice. For the people who notice it, but then they're mm. just like, they bury it. <laughs> Yes. Well, that, that's right. That's right. So, 
there are there are several strategies that you could take when you're feeling challenged. And and the number one, the most popular strategy by far is what you're describing there. It's not to feel it. It's just to uh, to numb yourself a little bit and to just do it. Now, I'm feeling daunted, but I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to listen to that voice in my head saying I can't do it. And people just soldier on. So they use willpower. And, and willpower has its place. I, I'm a fan of using willpower with discretion, with discretion. But it's not an emotionally intelligent approach to dealing with challenges. So this is an extra toolkit in the box to instead of uh, numbing ourselves or to ignore it, uh, to overlook the feeling, instead is to simply notice it. So we're not getting swamped away by it. We're not saying, oh, we should immerse ourselves in the feeling of dread. No, no, no. Do not immerse yourself in the feeling of, of dread or worry. <laughs> do not do that. That will not help. That will sweep you away as well. But we do want to at least acknowledge, acknowledge that it's there. And when people can acknowledge it, and just in its reality, you know, if you're feeling daunted, just really experience the, the shape of it. It'll have some kind of a shape in the body. Uh, that noticing just gives you a little bit of extra choice about what you're going to do next. So it is an, an empowering skill to develop. And I'd like to stress that. These are skills. Being able to notice your experience in the moment as it's happening. That's a skill. A skill that everyone can get better at. Naming your experience. You know, getting really good at uh, differentiating between frustration and anxiety and hurt. That's a skill that we can get better at. And that last part, choosing to do what matters most to you, what the person you'd like to be do, that's a skill as well. And we can all get better. And there's a lot of research showing now that when people practice these skills, they just get better at making choices in life that are better aligned with their own values with what, with what matters most to them. They become more authentic. All right. Now, let me ask you this. And in, in I want to go back to the workplace. Mm. When, because let's just say notice, name, now what? Let's say, yeah. and, and this is just an example, that someone is not being heard in the workplace, mm. that they mm. have made it, it's been, it's obvious where they've made suggestion after suggestion after suggestion and their suggestions always get ignored <laughs> and then mm -hmm. it might be implemented years later when they were right the first time <laughs> when they made the suggestion. If you notice that and then I guess you're naming it saying, okay, well, it's making me feel a certain way I because I'm being ignored. For the now what, one would think that mm. next option would be, okay, do I become more forceful in my suggestions, more aggressive, or do I consider another job? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So this this uh, question, now what would the kind of person I want to be do? It, it's not one that we ask for the first time while we're being challenged. It's an ongoing piece of work. You know, what, what matters to me in life? What do I want to stand for? What am I willing to accept for myself uh, in the workplace? And what am I willing to accept for others in the workplace? So that's that's a, a, a really it's a, it's a lifelong task really to be shaping that as we move through life because different things matter to us when we're children or teenagers or young adults or parents or, or grandparents. So the kind of person, the kind of people that we choose to be will change. And you're absolutely right. There'll be circumstances where people will say, actually, you know what? No, I I choose not to continue to work in an organization that's going to overlook my contributions, that's, uh, that's disinterested with what I have to say. Or, alternatively, they might say, well, actually, this particular battle I'm willing to put to one side, but it can't go on. I'll need to have other wins in other areas. Because none of us gets our own way uh, at all times, in all circumstances. Com- if only, hey, uh, well, no, not really. That'd be dreadful, too. Uh, that'd be a different kind of hell if we always got our way. But uh, we need to compromise. So, yeah, sometimes we'll say, no, you know what? That'll do. I, I, I'm not staying here. There's something about this workplace that really is too significantly misaligned with what I aim to make my life about. There's, there's too much of a gap here. And, but that takes courage. You know, leaving secure employment, that takes courage. So we need to develop that capability to uh, be able to do that, to trust in ourselves and to to leave. And then, How would one mm. develop that courage then to do that? Because for some people... Mm. They, they stay on jobs, especially some people that I've spoke to throughout the years living here in America. I don't know how it is in Australia, but they stay on yeah. jobs that they hate for mm. years. Yes, yeah, I, I think that goes for that goes for people, yeah, planet wide. We, we and this is, goes for all humans uh, at work, but in other contexts too. We often choose the safer approach. You know, what's safest? We adopt a kind of a, a better not mentality. Oh, better not rock the boat. I better settle for what I've got. We're cautious and we're timid. And, and that kind of attitude, you know, it, it had its place when, when we were evolving, when we were little, little animals in a dangerous world. Playing it safe is, is, is you know, pragmatic pessimism, I call it. Pragmatic pessimism. It pays when you're prey. So our ancestors were good to eat and uh, nutritious, and it paid for them to be very, very fearful in the world and to avoid risk. You avoid risk. But we're not like that anymore. We're, we're in a very different environment, and we need to manage our natural tendency to be fearful, to be afraid. And I help people to cultivate three mindsets, which together develop a courageous mindset, three of them. And, uh, yeah, if, if we don't do that, we will continue to lead smaller lives.
staying in jobs we hate, and in relationships that are not working for us too, Casey. Right, absolutely. And that's one thing, like I said, I I feel it always goes back to the self-esteem part, which staying in bad relationships, staying in a bad job, it's about how much do you value yourself? How much do you value your time? Because you're yes. every day giving your time to this relationship that you hate or this job that you hate when it can yes. be invested in something that will bring you happiness. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know what? I think you've you've just drawn attention to – I have a, a chapter all on this. The most important thing, and it's time. We over, we We choose to overlook again – and again, the fact that our time is limited. We don't like to talk about the fact, but actually we are all mortal creatures. We only have a certain number of years on the planet of being conscious, being present, tasting, talking, engaging with life. But when we really take that on board, if we truly accept, okay, I've got this many months left, and that's it. Then suddenly the value of every day skyrockets. It's an irreplaceable resource. Most other things in life you can, you can get another one. It's probably on Amazon or you can go out and work and you get, get something else. A lot of things are replaceable, but our, the minutes, the minutes of our lives are irreplaceable. They're, extraordinarily valuable and so I encourage people to turn towards that fact and to, uh, to to really acknowledge the importance and the value of their lives and you know we all we all do more sooner when there's a deadline you know if you only got a certain amount of time to get something done uh, we, we kind of get on with it and it's just natural that we, we kind of put things off and procrastinate if we feel like we've got all the time in the world. But we don't. That's a myth. That's just a, a little self-lie that we have all the time in the world. We absolutely do not. So there's a website I send people to called countlife.com. C-O-U-N-T-L-I-F-E dot com. And in it, you type in the number of uh, your, your birth date and how long you think you're going to live for. And you can be generous, give yourself 100 years perhaps. And then it represents on a screen in little bricks, little picture bricks, how many weeks, what it looks like. And there's a brick for every week of your life that's still coming. And I look at this once every couple of weeks because it just reminds me there's something about the visual of the remaining years of your life, which is far more powerful uh, for me than just saying, oh, I've, I've got an extra, I've still got another 50 years or 40 years or, or whatever it is. Looking at it, it really lands for me. Whoa, there they are. And that's it. So, yeah, we've absolutely, Casey, got to value our time. Now, I, I have to do this. I have to play devil's advocate now. <laughs> I want to go back to something that you said earlier that we need mm -hmm. sleep. Mm -hmm. You have sleep. a group, yes, you have a group of people who mm. are very 
they know there's only 24 hours in a day. Mm. So they're going to work, if they have to, 18, 19, 20 mm. of those hours. Elon Musk hardly sleeps. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he can be very productive. Some people can do it. Some people can't. When mm-hmm. do you think you should put the pedal to the metal, one might say. I don't know if that's an American saying or not. <laughs> but, no, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Or either just ease up. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. The problem is, it's true that there are very, very few people, and they're a tiny minority. You know, it's, it's like 0.1% of the population can get by and be productive on like three hours worth of sleep. But 99.9997% of us need between seven and nine hours of sleep to operate well. And we we vary. So you might be an eight-hour person or an eight-and-a-half-hour person or a seven-hour person. But when you don't get whatever your body requires, there is an immediate price to pay, an immediate price. You don't have to wait uh, 30 or 40 years for it to show itself. Immediately, you will be more reactive the next day. And I have noticed from time to time, Elon can be fairly reactive. He can... (laughs) He, he can be fairly impulsive and then try to, later on he has to kind of make, clear up the mess that he made. And the reason is that during the night, we all have these periods of, of dreaming, as you know, and they, they call it REM sleep, don't they? Rapid eye movement sleep. We all have about five of them. But it's during these periods of REM sleep that our brains get an emotional intelligence makeover. So all of our emotional circuits are, they're fine-tuned, they're, they're adjusted during REM sleep. So we really need to get this REM sleep at night, uh, and good quality REM sleep, so that the next day we're the least reactive, the least impulsive and defensive, and can choose what we're going to do. Now, during the night, the REM sleep is not equally spaced out. The duration of our dream, dreaming periods, these REM sleeps, they're longer towards the end of the night. So it's all skewed towards the morning. There's a lot more dreaming going on in the hours just before you get up. This means that if you rob yourself of an hour of sleep, you are robbing yourself disproportionately of the REM sleep that you would have got and you will be even more reactive uh, as a consequence the next day. So, look, by all means, if you've got something big on, it's got to get out tomorrow morning, uh, you need to pull an all-nighter, that's just the way of it, do it, but there will be a price the next day. This is something to do uh, infrequently, highly, highly infrequently, robbing yourself of sleep, is uh, not something to do as a way of life. And it's not just about uh, reactivity and REM sleep. There are, there are all sorts of uh, other good reasons. Uh, I direct listeners, if anyone's interested in sleep, to the fabulous book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Wonderful, wonderful book. And he's just got lists of 
absolutely life-critical things that only take place while we're asleep. And he says sleep is our life support system. And he says it's non-negotiable. You've got to sleep. That's interesting because I have a question then. How do you feel about nets? Because some people, they will take a nap. And there was a time where I used to do my best to fit a nap in, you know, every day. Mm. But now I... I just don't do them anymore. And I remember my brother, he's one of those Elon people. <laughs> my brother worked mm-hmm. very, very hard, many hours a week. And I remember many years ago when I told him, I was like, yeah, I try to get a nap in every day. He's like, a nap? I, for, no, I, I can't. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm like, well, I'm not sure if I am like you now, but because I am still a fan of naps. I am in favor of them. And they suit some people. So the people who are already having difficulty getting to sleep at night, and there's a lot of people struggle with actually getting to sleep, those people should not be taking naps in the afternoon. Do not do it. You want to build up a sort of sleep debt during the day, right up until the time that uh, it's time to go to bed. But for those of us, like myself, who actually, I, I can get to sleep very easily at night. We benefit from taking a short nap in the afternoon, maybe just 10 to 15 minutes, not much longer, just a, a short nap. And they call them uh, power naps, don't they? Because airline pilots do it. They find that they make fewer mistakes. And I like this in an airline pilot. I like it when they make fewer mistakes while they're <laughs> flying my plane. I'm, I'm in favor. So, so they, they, they build their ability to fly well by getting in short naps uh, when they can. So uh, if you're one of those people that it works for, do it, I'd say. I might have one after this call, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I tell you, there's a lot of information shared here. And also, as we're in the process of wrapping everything up, because it's it's about reaching that time, can you give the name of your book to the audience again, please? Uh, Thank you, Casey. It's called Swipe Right on Your Best Self, Simple Steps to a Bolder Life with Fewer Regrets, and it's available on all online platforms in paper and uh, in Kindle form as well. All right, perfect. And also, do you have a website for the listeners? Yes, yes. I'd, I'd love people to, to visit me there. Now, I, it's at ericwinters.com.au. And you'll also find me on LinkedIn. It's lovely if people would like to connect on LinkedIn or on Facebook, where my handle is at ericwinters.com.au. All right, perfect. Hopefully one day I will make it to Australia. I've, I've always wanted to visit. I've heard many great things about Australia. As in, uh, uh, you, I'll show you around. The cities mm. and also, one might say, the wildlife. And I think that's the thing that has me a little on edge a little bit because I believe I was watching a documentary, a nature documentary one time, and it said Mm -hmm. seven or eight of the 
most dangerous animals in the world are in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that too. But they're, they're not in the high street, though, Casey. This is the good thing. They're not in the high street. They're out. They're in the oceans, and they're out in the deserts. You'll be fine. Th- that is very good to hear. <laughs> As well. Well, Eric, thank you so much for offering to come on the show. I sincerely appreciate it. I always tell people that anyone is welcome to come on the podcast and just share whatever they want with my listeners. Because one thing I will say about my listeners, they they love information. They love um, – I do tarot card readings, by the way. <laughs> they love the tarot card readings. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. anything that involves self-improvement, or just life in general, the listeners have in, enjoyed it thoroughly, and, and I'm sure that they will have enjoyed this conversation after listening to it. So thank you again for being gracious enough to come on the show. Oh, Casey, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Okay, perfect. That concludes the Conversations with Casey segment with Eric Winters. Again, thank you to Eric for being gracious enough to come on the podcast to have a conversation with me. I always enjoy speaking with people from many different backgrounds. As I mentioned before, everyone is welcome to come on to the show and have a conversation because I learn more. Obviously, they may learn more about me and the listeners learn as well. So, And that's the biggest thing about the Conversations with Casey segment is that I'm all about information. And there was a lot of very good information during this particular conversation with Eric. I look forward to hopefully speaking with him again sometime. And yeah, that's all I have. It it was just really amazing. KIRWKC.com, main podcasting platform. This podcast is carried on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Overcast, Bullhorn, Amazon Music, Audible, and several other podcasting platforms. KIRWKC on all the social media platforms. Thank you to all of the listeners. And again, thank you to Eric. Until next time, be blessed.